You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is the Classic Auto Mall Podcast. Broadcast from the studios inside the Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Yes, the Classic Auto Mall is a real mall. Just one hour west of Philadelphia at Pennsylvania Turnpike Exit 298. Featuring nearly 1,000 classic, vintage, and barn find vehicles for sale under one climate-controlled roof. Now, here's your host, Classic Auto Mall President and the man with all the toys, Stuart Howden. And good morning, Steve. Good morning, Jr. What a wonderful day it is. We're finally back. We actually have a guest today coming up on segment two, three, and four. So not just going to be me and you shooting the you know what. Oh, so. wait. we got so many buttons. <laughs> this is it's like you need a, a master button. It's like we live in a computer. You need a master button. Is Holy what you cow. Need. So, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll one of these days figure out all this technology and, you know, we have new camera systems. All kinds know, of stuff. We have we're going high tech. We're adding something new every week. Every week it's something new. Yeah. So I was at Micro Center yesterday and if you, those of you who've never been to Micro Center, it's Amazing. The nerds heaven. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It's a radio shack and a Best Buy and a Circuit City and just everything jammed into one. And it's like Costco. You can't walk out. If you don't spend $5,000, you don't spend a penny, you know, and the same with Costco. You go in, I need some batteries and before you you know it, you've got you know dog food to last you 10 years. You know, you own a dog. I, I always resist Costco, those giant uh, carts, because it looks cartoonish. And everybody, it looks like a, something out of South Park. And if, yeah. and if you buy three jars of peanut butter, how long will they last you? Yeah. Hey, George, Forever. George Goober Lindsay said one time, he said he and his wife had been married so long they were on their second bottle of Tabasco. <laughs> had, they, had they shopped at Costco, they'd still have two more bottles left. My favorite Goober line was, what do you mind? My impression, Cary Grant. Judy, Judy, Judy. Judy, Judy. <laughs> I like when Ernest T. Bass on there will shave the back of his neck and he asked Andy to feel it. He said, it's slickerty. <laughs> anyway, I digress from classic Andy TV Mayberry. with yeah. Classic Auto Mall. There you go. It's hand in hand. So, uh, And the other thing is, I'm going to vent just a minute. I'm really tired of bagging my own groceries because apparently I have no idea what I'm doing, according to my wife. The oh. meat has to go in one way and heavy stuff on the bottom and you can't overload it. And I'm like, then you just do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to know how to do it. Can I pay somebody extra? Maybe they could, they, maybe they could have a concierge grocery store so I could just pay somebody to do that. So. Yeah, like an upcharge yeah. for somebody. Yeah, it's like pumping your, your own gas. You know. Back in the old days, all this was pretty natural. We have a, a place here, DeLong's, uh, Sunoco now, and they pump your gas for you and they charge maybe a couple of pennies more, mm-hmm. I guess. Worth do it. I don't know. I don't, I'm sure they do, but in the mm-hmm. cold of winter, absolutely I'm worth not getting it. out. But the nice thing, I love cars. The one new technology I really love is the gas cap that's not a gas cap. Right. That you don't have to unscrew it. You just stick the hose in and you like it flaps. That? I like that. But now I thought the, the locking caps and everything was to stop gas theft. And yeah. now it's just wide, oh, hey, take yeah. what you want. Well, that little key that you had to keep on your key ring that wouldn't fit on the ring because the little <laughs> hole in the key wasn't as big as the key ring. That's and right. so it would just be that one thing that was stuck there. Uh-huh. And you couldn't get past that. Yeah, and they had that, you had the internal uh, release for a while, and right. now uh, a lot of the cars, you just push the door and it pops and it open. pops open. Although, if the doors are locked, I think that the gas cap may be locked as well. Some cars do that. So, Some cars yeah. do that, yeah. So, the funniest thing that happened, and maybe I've talked about this, but it's so funny, I'm going to talk about it again. Go for so it. So, I sure. pulled into the DeLong's Sunoco down here to get gas, and it was a light sprinkle going on outside, and I had the windshield wipers on, I guess, which is now sensor. 
So, a lot, yeah. So a lot we of them stop are. and turn the car on. Oh, the car's still kind of running, not running, running, but on. And the guy starts to, <laughs> to clean my windshield. Ooh. And the sensors realize that there's water on the windshield. <laughs> and the wipers just bang into his hand and about break his wrist. Oh, and man. He's looking at me like, you son of a gun. And I, I said, it's the car. It's, it's the car. not me. It's <laughs> so, the car hates you, not me. Yeah, self-sensing wipers. What a brilliant idea <laughs> until, it's, until it's not. Don't touch me. Please don't touch me. Thanks to the Pat Travers Band. We uh, love our song and the music that they provide us, and it gives us our identity when we come into our show. And uh, yes, we appreciate sir. that. And they're out on the road today, I guess, still. We, one of these days we should check on their schedule. And I will. I'll, I'll find that for you. Come on. Please do. We have computers. We can do all this, can't we? So, well, I don't know. I don't want to break something. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Hey, if you if you want more information about what we do here, newsletter, uh, sign up to our newsletter at ClassicAutoMall.com, and we send out a newsletter once a month, maybe twice a month sometimes but and I always love as I say all the time the guy who says you send me too many emails and that's why I'm unsubscribing yeah. I send one a month and people send one an hour to me he's probably on the website a lot yeah. and it just feels like <laughs> so much classic auto mall I like the guy the, the, my favorite is the guy who says look I'm unsubscribing because not because I get too many many emails from you it's because I get too many emails from everybody uh-huh. Ward's Automotive comes to mind of a one that I have unsubscribed to about a hundred times not that I dislike Ward's Automotive I just don't have time to get 14 emails a day from them mm-hmm. and delete them and make sure that I'm missing something. And so I unsubscribed and then back it comes again. So <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so uh, new inventory uh, uh, as of today, 1,020 vehicles in consignment world here. So a new record, a new record. And last month <laughs> was not only uh, not only do we have that many in here, or last month was a record of consignments that coming in. 146. Wow. And our record prior to that was September of last year, last year being 2022, when we had 135. Okay. So um, 146. So that's a lot of cars. Mm -hmm. We've had four months of, you know, over 100 cars a month coming in. So we have plenty of. Inventory. So if you're looking for anything, I mean, I'm talking anything. I mean, we have it. Unimog. We got it. <laughs> we got late model. We got used. We got buy here, pay here. We got no, we didn't. No, oh, no, I no, just no. saw a, a Land Cruiser that yep. just came in. We just got a Land Cruiser in. Yep. So like a vintage. I, I didn't look at the year. I forgot to look at the year. But and uh, and it's a little bit of everything. And of course, it's become so. I mean, it, it, we don't even know what's coming in next. It's just we talk to people out in the world. We give them the paperwork. And we say, when you're ready, bring your completed paperwork and your vehicle, and mm-hmm. they just show up. And it's it's like kids in a candy store. So um, thank you to all of our consigners, and uh, we're hoping that uh, we'll get caught up here pretty soon. We're running about three weeks before a car goes live, and it's just because there's just so many ahead of each one. And when you get in 14 or 15 in one day, mm-hmm. you know, if, I mean, we could sacrifice quality, we could sacrifice pictures, we could sacrifice description, but then we might as well not even be here. Sure. You know, right. our point is to do it the same way every time for every, uh, price point of a car gets the same, uh, attention as, you know, a $5,000 car, $5 million car. Consistency. That's and the consistency. And, and, and it's, it's like working in the restaurant world. If you don't, if you're not consistent in your speed of delivery, then when you do get busy, you're bogged down because you started going slow because you only had one table. And then Chef Ramsey's yelling at you. You know, you don't want that. And he yells at you. Yeah, he, really he does. does. He will. I like that. I'd like to bring him in here. He yeah. shaped up things around. And before we forget, yes. Pat Travers Band. Yeah. Uh, we, this is November 1st. We're recording this show. Yes. And we'll be on uh, Saturday. S- we'll be posted Saturday on the podcast. Yeah. One, which is the 4th. 4th. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 
but on the 11th, uh, am I, I'm, I'm way off mic here, uh, Rifle, Colorado on the 11th, Denver on the 12th. This is Pat Travers' schedule, right? Yes, not Pat Travers' schedule, not ours. <laughs> yeah, we'll be and, in Rifle, Colorado. And you know, I'm sure someone, someplace you know uh, well, Stuart, uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Sure, that's right, just sure. south of Nashville. They're going to be yeah. at the Hot Springs Beer Park. How about that? that sounds like a lot mm. of fun. We should go. <laughs> what a great gig. I'd go, hey, I'm, I'm Stuart. And he'd be like, who? Yeah. What? We play your music every week. Yeah, every week for uh, free. November 18th, Charlotte. <laughs> 19th, Virginia Beach. And oh. on December 2nd, Boca Raton. Hey, I like the Virginia Beach. That might be a good one to go to. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. I or or Boca. Let's well, well. wait till he comes back up to Sellersville. Then we can go. Yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah, you, meet him backstage. Uh, I'd like Boca in December. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I much prefer that. So, thousand twenty in inventory. Uh, some of the new inventory in this week. Oh, wait a minute. Let me. Where do we sell cars to? You okay, say? you want to do that first? Let's do that first. All right. How about New Palestine, Indiana, Rossville, Georgia, Northampton, New Hampshire, Winchester, Virginia, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, Media, Pennsylvania, Hamburg, Pennsylvania, Nolansville, Tennessee, close to Nashville, Norfolk, Virginia, Ocean View, Delaware, Slough, England, I guess. Oh. S-L-O-U-G-H, yeah. Erie, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, Nederland, Texas. So that's where we sold cars to Neat. this past week. One, two, three. You're supposed to do this one. Uh, yeah. Winchester, Virginia. <laughs> There's a, a blast from the band. Another classic hit. How <laughs> much coffee have you had? Classic Auto Mall. Too much coffee. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, new inventory this week. How about the Hot Pink mm-hmm. over Hot Pink? It sure is. 1976 Auburn 866 Boattail Speedster. Yeah. A Glen Prey designed car. Um, this thing's got the 460 cubic inch V8. It's 13,000 actual miles, but four owners, so it didn't get driven much, which is, it's a little bit impractical. Mm-hmm. It's a two-seater, and I don't even have it. Does it have a top? I don't even know. I don't know. I don't think it does. I don't think so. Uh, but the 460 mm-hmm. with the uh, C6 automatic. And uh, Glenn Prey was a gentleman in Broken Arrow. Now, you would think Oklahoma, but it's actually Indiana. Okay. And uh, he did reproduction cords for a while, and then he got into uh, Auburn Boat Tail Speedsters and was more successful with the Boat Tail Speedster than the cord. The cord for whatever reason, wasn't as successful as the Boat Tails. The Boat Tails is such a cool-looking car. It's a cool-looking car. We don't have a lot of pink cars here no, in inventory. We do not. And this one is bright pink and very, very interesting. Very interesting car. Yeah. All the guys kind of talked about this one for a while. Yeah. Disparagingly? Or <laughs> no, is that, no. no, is the pink color? <laughs> mixed, yeah. mixed. Mixed, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, listen, you... There's certain guys that probably can get away with driving a pink car and some that cannot. You know, I mean, you got to be in touch with your manliness that's to right. be able to, you know, yeah, wear it. Elvis like, did. Elvis drove a pink he car. He did. That's, that's right. right. Wore pink shirts. That's right. That's right. Way ahead of his time. Way yeah. ahead. I think it's be a great parade car, kind of display car. Absolutely. You know, obviously, it, it, it's very cool looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not just nothing like the car. Boat at all. It's, it's really cool. cool. If you're a shy type, I would <laughs> not recommend right. that car. I would recommend something more, um, uh, more mundane. Than that, <laughs> anyway. Um, also, the 1935 Pierce Arrow 845 Town Sedan that just came in. Viceroy Maroon mm-hmm. over tan. Viceroy Maroon. Viceroy being a cigarette brand back in the day. Remember that? Yeah, well, I'm not a smoker, but I I, I remember the name. <laughs> okay, I don't eat certain kind of food, but I know the name from back right, in the day. Right. I didn't eat Captain Crunch, but I knew about it. <laughs> um, this one thing, this Pierce Arrow is amazing. Expertly restored walnut and cloth interior, near flawless paint. Mm-hmm. Because they say we never say flawless paint. Correct. Because somebody will find a flaw in, it, and we're certain of that. Uh, 385 cubic inch inline eight. 
and a collector's dream. And of course, Pierce Arrow's ads back in the day were like these beautiful drawing paintings almost, if you will. And, uh, it was just very elegant and, and they were made in Buffalo, New York, where a buddy of mine lives who has mm-hmm. a collection of Pierce Arrows. And uh, we have a few Pierce Arrows here. We do have a few. It's the, it's the best hood ornament. Oh, I think, uh, by far. Uh, um, of, of, I mean, people would argue with that, but I think it's so cool with the, with the, with the archer. You could have a loft in the Piercero factory. They've re- redone the factory. Oh, you can live there now. Yeah. Huh? Oh, wow. So the other thing that was cool about Piercero's is that as opposed to the stuck on a bar headlights in the, in the 20, late twenties and early thirties, they had the molded in mm-hmm. headlights. You could always, that's the one thing about a Piercero is very identifiable when you saw it. A lot of cars you could be, 20 feet away from and not sure if it was a, literally if it was a Ford or a Chevy or a Plymouth or a Chrysler. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, if you really knew those cars, you, you would certainly know. But, but these things, when you saw the molded in headlights as opposed to just sitting on the bar, you knew exactly that that was a Pierce Arrow. And then their patent ran out, I guess, in the mid thirties or 35 and you saw Ford and the others realized that maybe aerodynamics may have a little something to do That's with right. it. So maybe we should uh, rethink that. Yeah. So. But um, really a neat car, that 1935 Pierce Arrow. And, uh, and then, I love this, this 1965 Mercury Park Lane Marauder. First of all, Marauder is a really a cool, cool name. It is. Cardinal Red over black, 390 cubic inch V8, uh, the three-speed manual with overdrive. And a great driver. And it's not a very pricey car. It's, you know, under $20,000. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that entry level, if you will. Uh, and then uh, some other things that uh, have come in, but we won't get to them now because we're about ready to take our little break. And when we return, uh, we'll have our special guest, Sam Fiorani, in, uh, who's going to tell us all things about global forecasting on automobiles and all that fun stuff. He's a car guy, too, so we'll <laughs> we'll talk to him in a minute. See you then. It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free, just remember to bring comfortable shoes. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania on a particular day. We won't tell you what it is. Show number 113, guys. So 113 in the can, so to speak, if you're, you know, talking that parlance. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, we haven't had a guest for a while because we kind of got out of the habit. And then we changed our day of when we're recording. We now record on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. instead of Saturdays and then Fridays. And then we keep switching around. But we think Wednesdays is going to work because... I'm generally in town on Wednesdays, and you know it's important that the star be here. <laughs> it is, and, and and also our guests might be more available than getting into a weekend. Exactly. So, so uh, with that said, uh, welcome to the studio, Sam Fiorane, and uh, Sam is vice president of Global Vehicle Forecasting and Auto Forecast Solutions. What a title! I, I like the title. It, it's, it makes me sound important. <laughs> the longer the title, oh, yeah, the yeah, more yeah. important put, it must be. Put a couple be. more words on there. That's I'm good. always jealous of people that have really short email addresses, like Bob at Bob dot com. You know. 
like, damn, I'd like to have that because, you know, you, nobody would get that wrong. I have to go, Stuart, was that E W U A R T W Stuart D with the T? You know, so, uh, anyway, Sam is a fellow board member at the Boyertown Museum of Historic Vehicles, which is, if you've never been, what a place. Absolutely. Oh no, my God. It, it, we, the people I've taken through there just are in awe of the collection we have. Yeah, it's it, because it it's a different focus than you see. Uh, normally focuses would be on pre-war or something of a, a specific era, generation, or muscle cars. This is focused on Pennsylvania built, concepted, whatever, based vehicles. So it could be a Fleetwood bodied car that was built in, or the body was built in Pennsylvania, maybe the rest of it was built somewhere else. But what made them start that? What made them go down that path or that rabbit hole, if you will? Well, that could pigeonhole you. The, the, the museum itself is is based out of a, a factory that used to build carriages and then built truck bodies. And so years of building truck bodies, it, it evolved into this museum right. of Pennsylvania built vehicles. Uh, we happen to be in an area where there were a number of coach builders in this area. So we're, we're within an hour of the original Fleetwood body company, the uh, Durham body company. Mm-hmm. So there are a number of them right here. So we can pick up, you know, a, a Fleetwood bodied uh, Cadillacs and Chryslers right, right. and uh, uh, Durham bodied. We have a Durham bodied Packard, right. things like that. It, it's, it's it, in the early days, of the automotive industry, each state had a lot of car companies, mm-hmm. and Pennsylvania was was very wealthy in, in their car companies. Sure, and so we have uh, a bunch of them that are usually Eastern Pennsylvania, but uh, we're open to others. Right. Well, and the nice thing about the the body companies is they did bodies for all different, you know, Chrysler, Cadillac, uh, maybe even Ford too. Did yeah, some, yeah, but yeah. You know, Brewster, I guess, did some bodies. Of course, Brewster wasn't here. Uh, but it's amazing the connection of things. We had the Vim truck that we have here that we just uh, sold to the uh, museum. And, uh, you know, that was one that you don't ever see a Vim, V-I-M truck anywhere. And it was one of those really unusual pieces. And I knew that they wanted it. So the minute we decided that that would be the next one to go, the first call was Mark at uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's nice that the Vim is is in the same collection with the the. Terrain, right? Which are built by the same company, and the, when you see the the, the Terrain, which is a hundred and five year old, right. uh, one hundred and ten year old uh, luxury car, right? It's just beautifully restored, yeah. and it's it's a spectacular vehicle. And then, of course, the Duriers. That uh, is that probably the largest collection of Duriers in one location. It's most likely, and, the I, I gotta largest be, collection. Right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the, and Pennsylvania built Duriers, right. as opposed to the Massachusetts ones. Right, exactly. And then the other thing is, is of course, the electric cars from back in the. You know, you, you've got electric cars that date back to the early 1900s. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, no, when you, when I show them the, the trucks, especially the trucks that, that are hundred years old, mm-hmm. uh, they're like, oh, wait, wait, there were electric cars before Tesla? Yes, there were yeah. electric cars before Tesla. And they were, they had a more efficient way, I guess, to charge them back then, right? I mean, was there a way that they were able to charge them differently or was it just a regular 110 plug in? Well, I, at that time, no, I don't think it was a 110, <laughs> yeah, but, right. but it was, it was, uh, um, they had, Smaller, relatively smaller battery packs. So right. it was it was a trickle charge into a lead a lead acid battery, right. uh, a series of lead acid batteries, right. uh, and they weighed. I want to say a ton, but it was probably more than. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, and if you think about it, of course, the the ideal scenario for an electric car is short distances. And that's what most of these trucks and, and vehicles were built for is in the city. Mm-hmm. So you weren't going very far on them. You might be going five miles in a day. I mean, if you look at these, the telephone trucks from the seventies and eighties, they would have 
20,000 original miles on a truck that was 30 years old, but how many hours were on the engine? Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sat and idled. And that's, that's the great thing about electric is you don't idle. You don't so idle, yeah. Once you're shut off, you're shut off. But the other thing is, is that if you were, you know, in the service of some type of industry where you had to be in your car or vehicle all the time and just sitting and waiting, like a limousine driver, and you had a battery pack and you couldn't run the air conditioning or you couldn't run the heat, then what do you do? That's yeah. the problem. Well, all the other accessories take a lot less power than right. actually motivating the vehicles. Right. So, it, you know, people complain about my electric vehicle is going to going to die if I'm in a traffic jam. Well, no, it's going to use a lot less energy, right. and you've right. got plenty of energy in that vehicle for right. a long time. But the electric vehicle collection, the alternative fueled vehicle collection at Boyertown Museum, right. is be, uh, is because of the museum itself, the building that is the museum had a uh, a production of electric vehicles right. from the 60s into the 80s. Wow. And uh, and we have a handful of the vehicles that were actually built in the factory. Right. But and were they like great collection? Like service like post office tr- trucks that the post office used and things like that. Yeah. They were more service type. Yeah, they have utility vehicles. Uh, they they produced a, a series called uh, a brand called Batronic. Right. And those were mostly utility vehicles, but right. we, but they also produced um, a run of Volkswagen rabbits that were electric powered. And we have two of those in the collection. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about those. And then, and then the city car and the, those kind of things were kind of around that same era. Of course, they were, they were trying to be something a little different. They were trying, they were a little ahead of the curve, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. There were a number of waves of electric vehicles mm-hmm. over the years. And, and so, you know, you had the initial wave where electric vehicles and steam vehicles actually outsold gasoline vehicles mm-hmm. until about the Model T. Right. Right. Uh, so until the, that. until the development of uh, the self starter. Uh, Gasoline vehicles were not practical for most people. Yeah. If, if you've never hand cranked a, a starter on a vehicle, I, try it because it's not pleasant. It's like kickstarting an old forties Harley. It yeah. is uh, not a pleasant experience, especially if you don't know what you're doing. And, and probably not as easy as kick, kickstarting a yeah, Harley. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you push a button and the car starts anymore, but uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and you don't want to break your arm, uh, obviously, because that can happen, and or break your leg uh, if right. you're kickstart. I'll never forget. Uh, a neighbor buddy had a Harley and he, I wanted, I wanted him to show me how to start it. And he said, you don't really want to do that. And I did it and it threw me, you know, <laughs> 10 feet behind the Harley and I decided I didn't really ever want to do that again. Right. So. Well, that's the whole reason why the invention of the self-starter was because somebody sure. got maimed or killed. Yeah. And, uh, and Charles Kettering said, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to fix that. Well, he designed a lot of, he came up yeah. with a lot of cool stuff and he's from Dayton, Ohio, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 And, uh, uh, what some of the inventions and innovations that he came up with. And it's, cool because if you think back like cars from even from the 70s i mean you think about the electronics that happened from the 70s to the 80s the 80s to the 90s the 90s to the 2000s even we were talking the other day about um steve has a 2003 uh, or 2013 mini cooper and he just drove a 2024 and he said it's like a different car i mean not performance wise or anything like that just in the amenities and things and stuff and you know i was i always jokingly say i looked under the seat of a a mercedes suv and there must be 400 miles of wires oh yeah yeah no the the electronics on a modern vehicle are are amazing Mm -hmm. and i i got a book recently that had uh just charts of stuff. Right. And one of the charts was measuring the code in different things. Right. Like Windows 7 and uh, things like that. Facebook. 
And at the very bottom of the chart, the largest thing on the chart was the code in a car. Really? And it's just, it, it's so much bigger than anything right. else. It, well, there, there's an old funny uh, meme out there on Facebook that's got a guy, uh, the whole, the chalkboard of the whole classroom is completely full of all these math equations. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you change a starter on a Land Rover, you know? <laughs> and it's like 4,000 steps that you gotta do. But you know, it, it's like batteries. We were talking the other day, uh, the Viper has a battery that you have to remove the right front wheel or the left front wheel. I can't even remember now because I, I don't like to remember stuff like that because it just ticks me off that you have to do that because it's like batteries should be under the hood right there where easily accessible like they're supposed to be, right? But yeah. lo and behold, it, one of my early jobs was writing car repair manuals for right. Chilton. Oh, wow. And so <laughs> that's it, not technical. Oh, right? no, no, right. no. But it, it was it was fun to learn to the different things because at one point I worked for a shop where they had a bunch of old British cars and mm-hmm. they had a Jaguar XJS, which I always loved the styling. Right. And I said, oh, I'll, I'll take that one. And he goes, oh, my boss said, no, 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 it, it needs a new transmission. I'm like, it's a Corvette transmission. How cheap would that be? <laughs> right. And then I got the Chilton and pulled out the R&R guide to find out how much time it took. Right. And it was literally a 24-hour job <laughs> because you can't drop a transmission in an XJS. So I'm like, okay, I can understand why he told me not to buy that car. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> well, I, we always say the cheapest check you'll buy if you buy a late, you know, a, a used 1990s Jaguar, BMW, Mercedes at an auction and you buy it for three or $4,000. That will be the cheapest check, you're right. <laughs> but what's interesting, and I was thinking about this the other day I was driving, turn signals haven't changed. So they're pretty much the same. They're on a stalk on the left-hand side. Mm-hmm. Up is to the right. Down is to the left, uh, which is interesting. And, and and the reason I point that out is because shifters are bothersome to me because even if it's a column automatic or a floor automatic, you don't need to look at it to know where you are. You have a reference point by feel. When it's a knob that you twist or it's a button that you push, there's no reference point. And that's important because if you're backing out of a driveway and you're looking over your shoulder and backing out and then you got to get it into drive and all of a sudden there's a, something bearing down on you and oh God, what, you know, which one's drive uh, or then the automatic parking brake comes on. Wow. You know, it's, yeah. um, can leave you in a predicament. Yeah, this is why I drive stick shifts. You know? <laughs> right. I, exactly. Is there any manual cars left? Did we determine that with the golf? The Volkswagen golf discontinues this year. I think the, I think you can still get a Civic. Yeah. Uh, there are a handful of, of cars, but right. you know, it, you know it, it, the downhill was when, when Porsche decided to pour, push, uh, uh, Tiptronic, yeah. Or whatever. Por- Porsche and Ferrari and everyone, they stepped out of that. I'm like, okay. So if, if I can't get a stick shift Lamborghini. Right. <laughs> How am I going to get a stick shift? Golf, Anything else? GTI, yeah, exactly. Know. Well, and and the worst part about it is, is that that the generation doesn't know how to drive a stick shift, and and I guess I don't know. Is it important? Maybe it is to me. Maybe it's more important to me than it is to really the 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 scheme of things in the world. Yeah. When I was teaching my kids how to drive, I I wanted to make sure I I have two daughters, and I wanted to make sure that they knew how to drive a stick because I pictured them being at a party. With some guy, and the only vehicle they could drive was a stick shift, and the guy could not drive it. I'm like, I want my daughter to be able to stop a guy. I can take care of this. Dad, that's not overthinking it at all, and, right? And, and, and you know, the, we just discussed that right. there are no stick shifts around anymore, so it's, the, this is not going to happen. Yeah, you can just, you, you don't want to get the call that, Dad, I could have gotten home if I'd have known how to, if you'd have taught me how to drive a stick shift, right? Yeah. But yeah. I, I learned to drive. The first car I ever got to drive was a stick shift, was a Vega, um, the neighborhood mm-hmm. the kid down the street had, and he taught me how to start on a hill uh, with a stick shift and 
all these different little tricks that he taught me. And of course that came in invaluable help, you know, because there's so many people. When we, when I had an auction, uh, I ran an auction company in the center of the state here and they would have gentlemen in their seventies and eighties as drivers for the auction who didn't know how to drive a manual transmission. So on the, on the, uh, application, we started asking the question, can you drive a man- manual transmission? Yes or no. Um, and it's, and it was funny how many of them said no. And then, of course, as we've talked about before, we we had a. I decided to have a class on on uh, charging or jump starting a, a battery, uh, a dead battery, and all the old guys were like, "Are you kidding me? We're not. We know how to do that. Well, you're what are you stupid?" By the end of the thing, they were like, "Man, I didn't know half of that stuff." <laughs> Same with like using a fire extinguisher. Or there's things that guys think that we all you know we should know. By golly. But we don't know. It comes with your man card, right? <laughs> right, the man card. Had to you pack have. groceries. <laughs> yeah, I had to pack groceries. We're just talking about that. Don't get me started on that, Steve. <laughs> bread goes on the bottom, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, bread on the bottom and, and frozen food on top of the bread and then the heaviest on the top. And then, of course, if you go to Wegmans, you got to get that little piece of whatever particular cake that they have that's so delicious and it's ridiculously expensive. And you get home and it's upside down <laughs> because – and then, of course, those bags are so dang gum – I'm sorry. Am I rambling? <laughs> when we return, we might get back to from the Food Network to the uh, Automotive Channel. We'll see you in a minute on the Classic Automotive Podcast. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from Classic Auto Mall Studio. Let's clear up one thing from earlier. Glenn Prey was from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, not Broken Arrow, Indiana. And I just assumed that was correct because my crack research team somehow missed that. <laughs> but anyway, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, Glenn Prey. And he was a school teacher in Oklahoma, and so hence... That I figured it was, but you know, sometimes I overthink things. So we were just talking about uh, driving in comfortable positions or uncomfortable positions. And we find a lot of us in this studio this morning are saying how we tend to find ourselves pulled up on the wheel further than we should be not relaxing and sitting back. Sam, you're a relaxer. You sit I, back. Yeah. No, I, I've driven hundreds of cars and, and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of miles and 
uh, I just get comfortable when I'm in the car. I right. like I like driving. Well, I do too. I mean, I can find the apex of the corner in a minivan. Mm-hmm. So, and oh. we, we, you know, that's without yeah, yeah, yeah. without saying the, so. the town and country handles curves beautifully. <laughs> it really does, and it's practical. So, you know, there's that. Now, you know, I drove a minivan for many many years, and uh, because I had five kids, and I realized that I didn't, I couldn't really afford a suburban, and it was too big for the garage anyway. And I thought, <clears throat> how about a minivan? How cool would I be if I drove a minivan? Because I drove the Cadillac of minivans, the Oldsmobile Silhouette, which was the 3.6 or 8 liter turned transverse mounted engine that blew a head gasket in the first 10 miles. Oh, those yeah, get shorty. The yeah, movie. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. That's what changing the from. back spark plugs. That was always fun. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Again, back to the engineers with the Dodge Viper putting the battery under the, the wheel well or the Corvette with the battery behind the seat, which is almost impossible to jumpstart in traditional uh, ways of, of jumpstarting. Being a right? British car guy, I understand that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So you've been a car guy all your life. I mean, you're in the car business, but you're in the new car analytical business, right? Right, yeah, yeah. No, we, we do uh, <coughs> forecasting and analytics for uh, for global production, global sales, uh, powertrain vehicles, the whole deal, uh, down right. to the down to the vehicle plant level. Really? Wow. Yeah. So when you have to give them bad news, is it, you know, do you sugarcoat it or you just go right in and say, look, this is, he's got to quit. We tell, we tell the story. <laughs> right. This is our job to tell the story and, and whatever they do with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, our, our clients ask us what's going on. Right. And so we have, we tell them straight out, this is what's going on. This is why that's happening. This, right. this is what you need to be prepared for. Right. So if, if you're supplying uh, seats on a vehicle and they tell you, well, we're going to build a hundred thousand of them. They come to us and say, "No, no, how many are they going to build?" Right. Say, oh, they're going to build seventy-five thousand of them because they didn't take into consideration all these these parts. Right. And they come back and say, "So they they can do their business case at a seventy-five thousand, right? To, and then they can do a hundred thousand because that's what the contract says, right? So, so that's their their range there, right? And of course, I mean, I, some people want you to tell them the truth, and some people will put their head in the sand and don't want to hear the truth, and that's the unfortunate part about being uh, doing consulting and forecasting and that type of thing. Well, it's right? the great thing about our product is we have uh, the ability we have the ability for our clients to do their own forecast, right? So they can buy our forecast and they can get uh, they can do their own forecast. So we we have clients who who have uh, higher ups who want them right to tell a certain story, sure. And so they can tell their own story because we're not going to tell it for them. And do the suppliers get on to you and say, you know, that's an unfair assessment of our forecast. We think we're going to build, you know, X amount of cars or X amount of seats for them and, and you know, don't understand why you would say that. Your stuff is based on fact. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, we, we've been doing this a long time. Right. Uh, the core group of our company has been together since uh, 99. Wow. And some of the uh, members of the team have been together since 94. Four, I think mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have one member of the team who's been who's been in this business for forty years. Wow! So it's a lot of knowledge there. Right? Oh, absolutely! No, no. There's there's a lot of knowledge in in this team, and uh, and everybody brings something else to it. We have right. we have a, a powertrain team. We have a vehicle team. Uh, we my my boss is the is a great presenter, so he goes to all the conferences and, right. and gives all the speeches. But uh, we're I'm more surprised when our clients or whoever asks us the question. Here's our story and said, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what our job is. That's, our job is to make perfect sense. So does your job entail driving cars as much or more analyzing the numbers and that kind of thing? Well, <clears throat> once it's on the street, it's, it's past tense. Right. Yeah. No, no, you can our, do nothing, no, nothing more. Right. right. Our job is to tell you what's going on and what, what is the market doing? 
the only the only thing I need to know about current models and future mo- or the current models on the street is for sales. Right, right. Just to know what's selling and what's right. not selling and and that kind of thing. So, what is the global forecast for automobiles? Good, bad, neutral? Is there? Well, we're in a, in a transition period right now. We're uh, everybody keeps talking about moving towards electric vehicles, and and the the mistaken story is that we're uh, internal combustion engines are being banned, right. and for the most part, they're not. Right. There's a few outliers that you know. yeah. Some countries, some cities have have proposed bans. Uh, not many of them are locked into stone yet. Sure. And uh, we had a uh, a deal in California 30 years ago where they wanted to to have a, a particular percentage of their sales being electric vehicles mm-hmm. by the end of the 90s. Well, that never happened because right. the vehicles weren't ready yet. Right. Well, now the market's not ready for it. Well, and it seems to me the electric vehicle is on a little bit of a downward trend right now too, right? It's not a downward trend. It's a downward growth. So the growth, I like that. No, the, it, it's 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 different because they because we've had this hockey stick growth for so long right. that everybody thought it's just going to continue. Well, we're still growing the market for electric mm-hmm. vehicles. It's just not growing at the same pace. Are the manufacturers losing as much money as everybody says, or is that all? They are because it costs, they have to. They, right. they have to. You have to build new plants. You have right. to build new supply chains. You have to buy build. You have to design new vehicles from the ground up. It costs a lot of money, and you're not going to sell that many of them yet. Right. So this is a long-term ploy. Uh, Tesla spent billions of dollars to get to the point where they can make money. Right. Billions of dollars and a decade. Right. Well, and so did, I mean, and arguably so did Facebook and, you know, any of these other tech companies, if you will. It takes time to make money. Absolutely. Now, of course, it's interesting time in history to see um, kind of, you know, smaller manufacturers coming into play, Lucid and Tesla and and uh, some of those others, uh, Rivian mm-hmm. and uh, all that. I mean, are they going to be able to sustain what they're doing, or is they going to get swallowed up by the big ones? Some of them will get absorbed. Some of them will go out of business. Right. Some of them will survive. Right. And uh, and we're coming off of a, a double period here. We're going. We're moving towards uh, getting rid of the early adopters and moving towards real car people. Right. People who are actually trading in their their daily driver. For an electric vehicle, mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why it's, this growth is slower because it's easy to get the early adopters in. I want that Tesla in my driveway. I have eighty thousand dollars to spend on right. it. Well, now when you're talking about a guy trading in his uh, person trading in their Accord right. for a daily driver, it's a little harder to convince them. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, we have interest rates. Uh, mm-hmm. Ten years ago, interest rates were so low that. Venture capitalists would just come in and say, we'll give you a billion dollars for your EV startup. Right. Today, it, it takes a little bit more money and right. you have to say, well, your return on investment is going to be a lot, lot more than it would have been 10 years ago right. when you were getting, you know, a, a 1% on your interest. Well, same with Silicon Valley when yeah. it, when it went through its crisis or whatever. But did, uh, Tesla uh, screw the pooch to speak with the, uh, with the truck, with the cyber truck? Is that, we're, is we're, that even going to happen? No, we're still waiting to see it hit, uh, hit the streets. I mean, they're, they're trickling out of the factory now. Are they early, really? early production ones are, are trickling out. And, uh, we're just waiting to see if, how deep this, this market is. Right. Because, uh, uh, Elon Musk tells everybody, we can, we can build as many Teslas as the market will bear and the market will bear. 20 million vehicles. Right. No company has ever produced 20 million vehicles in a year. Right. Uh, currently, we're looking at 10 to 11 million for Toyota. Right. And and that's globally, right? That's globally, yeah. yeah. And so Tesla, in order to, for Tesla to have the capacity for 20 million, right. they have to build 10 more plants. Right. And that so, doesn't happen overnight. No, no. And and they want to do this by the end of the decade. That's a lot of yeah, investment. That's yeah. billions of, that's tens of billions of dollars in investment. So many plants. Right. And, 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 Elon Musk is wrong. The, the market is not 
uh, infinite for Teslas. Right. And and uh, the record year in the U.S. for auto sales was seventeen million or eighteen. Seventeen million and a half. Yeah. So yes. and that about everybody. I mean, that's right. you know, General Motors, Ford, Chrysler, what a blah blah. Um, but you know, it's interesting. With uh, uh, do you see a hybrid it makes more sense in a purely electric car, or do you see a hybrid version of that? That some you know, uh, purely electric cars would be great for short commutes and around town. The hybrid more for long distance driving. What happens to Dooleys and Suburbans and Escalades? They'll be the last to convert. Right. So we'll we'll see those converted sometime in the 2030s, mm-hmm. uh, um, and they may they may stick around for a long time. We're looking at uh, uh, synthetic fuels. We're looking at all kinds of options that could prolong the life of the internal combustion right. engine for uh, in almost indefinitely. I mean, God, if you're Exxon Mobil or one of these companies, are you? Shuddering? Are you freaking out right now, or are you just whatever? Well, they've they're diversifying their business. Right. They're, they're finding other ways. They're finding they're buying companies that charge vehicles. They're buying companies that do other things. Uh, the bigger story, to me at least, is Saudi Arabia. Right. And Saudi Arabia is make it makes all their money on petroleum. Right. And they've already noticed that that is a short term plan. So they have to make sure that they have something to do in the post-petroleum world. Right. So they're already investing in money in, they, they own most of Lucid. Right. They, uh, they're starting their own car company in Saudi Arabia. There, there are all kinds of different things that are making a, a, a business case for something other than petroleum in the country. So it'll be, it'll be longer term, but right. it's, at least they're looking ahead and saying, this is a limited thing. Right. We're going to run out of, of, People buying petroleum in the next 40, 50, 60 years. Right. It's going to be longer than people think, right? It's oh, not, no, it's not, absolutely. It's not 20, you know, 30 when no, we're no. going to see this. I mean, it, look around you and look at all the things that, that run on petroleum mm-hmm. from, from the electrical grid to your, your vehicle. So in the reality, if you took, uh, you know, uh, A and B and you said what it costs to fuel a electric vehicle versus what it costs to fuel a modern day petroleum vehicle, I mean, doesn't it require as much, if not more, energy to fuel the electric car? Because batteries don't make power, right? They <laughs> so don't, but they, the electric... What does make power for the batteries? The electrical grid is mixed. Right. So we have nuclear, we have wind, we have solar, we have mm-hmm. we have uh, natural gas. We have a whole bunch of different things that fuel the, the electrical mm-hmm. grid. And the cost of driving per mile in an electric vehicle is a lot less right. than it is in just in the fueling of it, just right. in charging or fueling the vehicle is less. And then there's the maintenance is less right. and all kinds of things. Uh, work out better in the in the short term for right. ownership of an electric vehicle. But do you see, I mean, combustion engines, I mean, most of the guys that we know that are the high-end guys who have these collections all have their ear of their congressman and their senator and maybe even the president. Uh, and and I, I would imagine that they're all going to fight hard for petroleum-based, you know, fuel to be available long into the future, we hope. Uh, because this hobby, I mean, what would we do if we didn't have it? The hobby, as we know it, would probably kind of disappear. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, there, there are no, to my knowledge, there are no uh, bans on petroleum right. use. There are bans on sale of new petroleum-powered vehicles. Right. Those, those are starting to come out, and that's mostly uh, emissions-related. Right. Uh, the United States does not have a ban on that. It does not have a ban in plan, mm-hmm. it does have tighter restrictions on emissions that will eventually push most vehicles to be at least hybrids. Right, right. And uh, and in our case, we're we're thinking long term, it's going to be fuel cell. Right. Because uh, a fuel cell vehicle uses hydrogen. Mm-hmm. You don't have, and you can fuel it just as quickly as you can fuel right, a gas right. car. So it just pump it up with hydrogen, 
and drive off, and the vehicle itself is an electric vehicle. Right. right. So gotcha. you get all the benefits of the electric vehicle mm-hmm. without the two, three, four, five-hour charging period. How are the power grids in California? I better ask this when we come back from a break. But uh, um, I, I, when we get come back, I want to talk about the power grids in California and all that when we uh, return. Also, don't forget something important. Uh, we had, I'm just seeing Andy Rumsford walk in. They had cars for Casey this past weekend, and it was absolutely amazing. We had 701 cars registered in the parking lot, 1,020 cars in the building. They expected about 300 cars, and they did a marvelous job uh, of putting it all together, and it's for a good cause. The opioid crisis is real, and if you haven't experienced it firsthand, thank you know, thank your lucky stars that you haven't. Uh, and Cars for Casey and Andy Rumsford and what he does is amazing. We're proud to be a part of it and uh, anxious to see him come back next year. When we return, we'll get Delve deeper into this uh, fascinating subject that we're talking about with the California uh, power grid. And that's my next question when we return to Classic Automobile Podcast. We'll see you in a minute. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information or to receive a quote, Contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. It's a museum. It's a showroom. It's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast from the Classic Auto Mall studio in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, talking to our friend Sam Fiorani, talking about the electric car world and two things that I have a question for you about. Number one is, aren't cars pretty emission-friendly these days? I mean, even a pure uh, internal combustion engine I mean, obviously, it's more you know efficient and less polluting as it was 20 years ago. But are they still pretty heavy-duty polluters even in this day and age? The numbers are amazing how much they pollute. Really, still, still, because it, it with everything that we've cleaned up in the air, vehicles still pollute a lot. Right. On the other side, when you compare them to 50 years ago, they literally put out about one percent of right. the emissions they put out 50 years ago. Wow. So we've come a long way. We've come a long way, but there's still, you know, with all the things we've cleaned up. I mean, if you look at, at pictures of Los Angeles Air 40 years ago oh, and Los yeah. Angeles Air today, we've done a great yeah. job of cleaning up everything. Right. And uh, and cars are just the easiest one to do it because because they're so prevalent. Right? They're they're all over the place and in states where they have inspections like Pennsylvania, you have a regular thing where you have to fix this car mm-hmm. to make sure it is clean and mm-hmm. up to date. Um, you know, getting somebody to come to your, your factory (laughs) regularly to who knows what they're doing and fixing the, Mm -hmm. the, the, all the emissions controls that they have Mm -hmm. there. It's, it takes a lot more people and a lot more uh, 
work. Well, and what one thing I didn't realize, I thought the automotive, the automatic shutoff was for fuel economy and mileage, and it's not. It's because cars pollute more when they're idling. Well, they, that that it's both of those, right? It, but you yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. sure. I, I get that, yeah. but but I mean, but part of the problem is they're more efficient when they're running sixty miles an hour down the road. They don't put as much pollutants out, which is completely insane. But you know, that's just yeah, me. Yeah, I don't. No, once, I can't think through things like once that. it's warmed up and and running <laughs> at you know three thousand RPM right. at, at highway speed. The, the emissions per mile are lower. So how does the infrastructure of, let's say, a city like Los Angeles, uh, who has brownouts and blackouts and things like that over the years, prior to having a bunch of electric cars, add a, another you know, 100,000, 200,000, 400,000, half a million electric cars into the grid, what happens? Well, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Right. So the, both of them have to grow at the same time. You have to grow the, the infrastructure to charge them. You have to grow the infrastructure to to build the electricity for the for the charging system. It, it it happens over time and it needs everybody to be part of the the growth of this. Sure. Uh, from the electrical grid which is already weak in California. Right. Really needs to step up, it, right? It, yeah. They need to step up now. Right. But they're going to need to step up over the next 20 years. Um and what about the fate of our beloved car shows? And I'm not talking about the ones like we did cars for Casey or the mainline cars and coffee which are all wildly successful. The Detroit Auto Show, the Philly Auto Show, car shows, and I mean, just in general, those type of shows, are they, it, what's the fate for them? You're talking to somebody who has gone to car shows, you know, most of my life. Right. And, and I've always said, I'll go to a, any event that you have a hundred cars under one roof right. where, and I'll, I'll be there. Right. But, uh, the Detroit Auto Show, the New York Auto Show, these are the, the regional shows here that, that we've attended for years mm-hmm. and they have, become a, a, a shadow of their former selves. Sure, sure. Um, manufacturers are not spending the money they used to spend. A car show, a stand for a manufacturer will cost you millions of dollars right. for a week's display. And that doesn't include the cost of building the display itself, that's, just that's, the space. That's, that's the, no, no, that's the, the building the display, right. that's the organizing the whole thing for the, that thing. It will cost you yeah. over a million dollars, and that's just to present it to the media right. for a day. Right. I went to the 2001 Detroit show, <laughs> and I think General Motors, Ford had spent 30-something million on their show set up in the space. And that was Ford, when they had a good setup. Yeah, and Ferrari had an... They had this whole thing built out of glass and it had stairs that went up to this glass, uh, you know, floor and, and all this food and stuff. And it was crazy. And it was the money that they spent. And now you go like to the Philly Auto Show. And of course, we participate in the Philly Auto Show. And there's a reason for that because it attracts people, you know, to come and see classic cars. Cause you can see every new car basically online now, right? There's no, there's no, you know, uh, brown paper over the windows of the dealership anymore. <laughs> yeah. Days gone by. <laughs> Those are days gone by, aren't they? Um, you know, it, it, what's interesting that, you know, we went through that period, uh, during after COVID about the, with the chip shortage. Uh, for vehicles, still, still going is that still? It. Oh yeah, is that still a thing? Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's getting better. Yeah, and manufacturers are finding uh, the uh, ne- the number of chips they need, and the ones that they do have go into the higher end vehicles, which is partially why vehicles are so expensive today. Right. It, it, the t- they're touting you know fifty thousand dollars is the average price of a vehicle. <sighs> well, part of that is the fact that they don't sell as many cheap vehicles. Why they, can't we just make a generic vehicle? Like, remember the old cans of beer that were just a white can that said beer? Yeah. So, yeah. Food is not car. I mean, of course, that, that's my fear. Don't get me wrong. When I say that, I say it tongue in cheek because that's what the new generation wants. Right. They don't care about the car. It's an appliance to them. No, no. And, and, it, you know, I, I grew up, my father was the guy who, 
wanted it as an appliance. Right. <laughs> and, and I embarrassed him by saying, you know, they're, they're more than appliances. Right. But, but they are. You know, the marketing on a vehicle tells you so much about you. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I drive? What do I have in my, my driveway? Uh, it, it says more about you. And it's the, you know, your house and your car are two of the ways that you tell everybody your expression. who you are. Exactly. And, and it's, you know, it's been a 150 years of marketing that has, Driven oh, sure. us to this point, yeah. yeah. Car freaks, right? Right. We, we <laughs> like should we are. We should have all been driving the same Conestoga wagons, right. and and then it would have been fine. But <laughs> exactly. but no, no. Uh, you know, Henry and Henry Ford had you know uh, twenty five million Model Ts on the road, right? And they all looked the same, and you know, large part of them were the same color, even. Mm-hmm. So it it was it was a time when everybody had if you had transportation. It was a, a thing that showed how well you were off. Right. Now, there are so many choices. Yeah, the status symbol of a car, the status symbol of, you know, the yeah. guy who had the Corvette always had the, the pretty girl back in high school, back in the day. Right. What right. car did you lust after in high school? Oh, no, I, I, everyone. I, well, that's the problem. Is that as, a, as a person who appreciates old cars, it, it, it varies from day to day. Right. You know, I, I've always been a Jaguar person. I've always enjoyed a, a nice, a good line on a Jaguar. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, my first car, we were, we were talking about mm-hmm. how we learned, where we learned to drive. My first car was the car I stole from my dad. It was a Dodge Aries. Right. <laughs> no, it was better than that. It, wait, it was better than that. It, my Dodge Aries was the second model year. Right. It was stripped. It was a two door sedan. Roll up windows. Roll up, roll up <laughs> windows. AM, AM radio. <laughs> Vinyl bench seats, nice. four-speed manual Ooh, with well. six passengers. Nice. It was probably so the last. Time. It was second and fourth were tricky. Oh no, 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 yeah, yeah, no. Well, no, actually, the worst part about it was a third because it was like in the glove box oh, somewhere because yeah. the, the the car had a flat floor and a gear shift that was two feet long, and so third gear was somewhere in the glove box. Oh, that's funny. And so if I was coasting down a hill. I had missed third gear so many times that if I'm coasting down a hill in third gear, it would pop out. It just pop out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, back in the '70s, uh, my dad had a uh, got a rental car or something. It was a Plymouth Volare mm. or something, and it was the the first of all that tinny starter from the sound the sound of the starter and that click click sound was horrible. No performance, no nothing. Horrible builds. See, see, your your take on old Chryslers and mine are different. Right. My father was a state police officer, so oh, we really? always. Had a right. Plymouth Fury or a right. Dodge St. Regis or something in the driveway, and <clears throat> that sound that the Chryslers made right. to start to this day is is one of the more exciting sounds right. I can hear. I, the rumble of a V8 is great, but the sound of a Chrysler starter is is something else. And I, I uh, love that. And uh, I, I dated a girl who had a Valori one time, and right. I, I I always liked the the look of it. Right. But it, you know, it was a crap. Well, my I, uncle I, worked at Chrysler, and he they called them Hamtramck hummingbirds. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. My 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 best part about about a, a classic Chrysler was my father was a state police officer from the fifties into the nineties. Right. And uh, when he was in the fifties, they they hated the push button transmissions right. on those those cars, and. The story he told me, and I can say this because he's been dead 30 years. Right. <laughs> and I'm sure his, his captain has been dead 40 years. Yeah, he's not coming walking through no, the door right no, now. I'm going to whip your butt. But, uh, he was told by his captain to take this out on the, on the highway and make sure it is not driving when it comes back. Right, because right. They hated them they so hated much. Them so so his, his job was to take it to 70 miles an hour and push reverse. Yeah. <laughs> 
I did that to my dad's Lincoln Continental, and that's a whole other story. And I didn't realize I'd never told him. And then when I did, it was not pleasant at all. Well, you know, I had two of the worst cars ever made. I had a, a, a Plymouth Horizon mm. and, and a Dodge Omni, and then I had a Chevette. Oh, a four-door Chevette with roll-up windows. It, it was gas-powered, at least, right? <laughs> yes, it was. So you, so you could have been worse. It could have been the diesel. <laughs> it could have been. No, I, I had a friend who had the Horizon, and our driveway had a slight slope towards the house. Right. And he parked it on there one day, and for one, he was blocking the driveway, so I had to move the car for him. So I got out there, and I started it up, and it was an automatic. I popped right. it in reverse, and it died. Right. Like three times on me. I'm like, okay, well, I got to rev this thing up and dump it into reverse. Yeah. I said, you know, your car gets, yeah, yeah, that's how it works. That, that's how it is. I'm like, it shouldn't be that way. It's not that steep a driveway. It's too funny. You know, cars back then, we, we, we thought at that point in time that we'd seen, we weren't going to see any more cool cars. Remember? I oh, mean, yeah. there was a time yeah. when I thought when I'm finally old enough, when I finally can afford one of these cars, they'll be gone. There won't be anything cool. And of course, then the eighties happened and all of a sudden cars started kind of getting cool and the IROC came out mm-hmm. and then, you know, the nineties. And before you know it, we were getting cool cars. See, again. it says a lot about you when you say IROC was cool. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to point that out right now. So. Trans Ams too. So, you know, it's, 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 it's all the same, same grouping. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. IROC and Trans Ams go together. What do they call it in New Jersey? The guy who had an IROC, there's a specific name about it and it's disparaging. Oh, really? Uh, something really? with a, you know, a gold chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as an Italian American, I, I take offense to that. Okay, right now, two eighty ZX. You know, with the, the guy had the shirt all the way buttoned down to his navel, and uh, yeah. you know that was the thing. But you know, we grew up. We were rednecks in East Tennessee, so a Trans Am or a hey, I was a redneck or, in Central or, Pennsylvania, or an so. IROC or oh, yeah, yeah. A, uh, now we didn't, we weren't Corvette people. We didn't really care for the Corvettes. I, maybe because we couldn't afford them. Exactly. You know, no. probably we looked down our nose at them only because we could never go there. And the cool kid in the street down the street did have a Corvette. Yeah. And had the prettiest girl and oh, yeah, so on and so yeah, yeah. forth. But, uh, you know, there, there were so many cool cars growing up and, and that, you know, came from the sixties and, and even the early seventies. And then again, we went through that era, but it's nice to see that we've brought back performance cars. I mean, but will we ever see another Viper? I mean, well, is that ever going to be well, built like that again? I, I literally had this conversation last week. Uh, right. we do a, a video webcast, uh, with the museum. At the Boyertown Museum, right? Right. Uh, we call it uh, Afternoons with Kendra and Sam. Right. And uh, we just did our fifth episode. Kendra and Cook is the executive director of the Boyertown Museum. Correct. was on our show a few years ago. My apologies, Kendra. Uh, <laughs> it's so, been that painful. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we did the show. Last week we did the show, and our guest was uh, the, uh, the woman who was in charge of East Coast PR for Chrysler. Right. And we were talking about her history. She also worked for Motor Week. At, this is Lisa Barrow. Right. And uh, when when the show gets posted next week, please watch it. Sure. Um, but uh, she was talking about driving a Prowler. Right. And she said, well, you know, those days are gone when we have that. Like, no, we they may be back because with electric vehicles, it's it's easier to come up with something like something that. Something cool. Right. So, it, you know, the body work on an electric vehicle, the electric vehicle platform is so pliable that mm-hmm. you can just put whatever you want on top right. of it. Right. It's almost like the cars from the 30s we were talking about with the custom bodies. Right. You could right. almost get back to that maybe and right. you know, well, order a body. And we don't have to, we don't have to put them conform. through emissions testing. Right. So, and emissions testing is one of the more expensive things about building a new never, vehicle. I never thought about that. So once we have that, this is one of the reasons why there are so many new car companies out now is right. that you don't have to emissions right. test them and that costs millions of dollars. Sure. 
Well, Sam, it's been a pleasure having you on. I'm sorry we've waited so long to do this, and I'm, I have a thousand more things we could talk about, but again, really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to check out their podcast with Kendra Cook and Sam from uh, Boyertown Museum. And don't forget to catch us Saturdays, 10 a.m., AmericasWebRadio.com. Uh, you can also find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Podcast Index, Tune in Alexa, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Podchaser, Google Assistant, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, we will return next week with uh, automotive historian and writer Jonathan Stein, and we'll see you next time on the Classic Automobile Podcast. See you. You've been listening to the Classic Auto Mall Podcast with your host, Stuart Howden. Executive producer, Steve Safir. Produced and engineered by yours truly, J.R. Russ. Thanks for listening and sharing the Classic Auto Mall Podcast. Available on ClassicAutomall.com, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music courtesy of the Pat Travers Band. Produced by CarSmarts Media. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.